as we grow closer and closer to the tip-off of the men's and women's A-10 basketball championships. Sam Basil and Daniel Frank here to bring you the latest news on your favorite 14 teams. Uh, welcome back to the A-10 Talk podcast. I'm Sam Basil. Daniel, how are you doing tonight? Doing well, Sam. I am feeling a little nostalgic tonight. Had my last women's game that I covered as a student at Mason. That was a home game. Um, really grateful for all the folks at Mason last four years. Really loved covering this team and excited to see what the future holds. Yeah, you know, that's. I feel like that was always a big moment for myself as well. It's, it's funny that you say that because uh, as I was coming onto Fordham's campus today, you know, it was a pretty nice day in the city. And I was like, man, you know, to be able to be sitting on, on Eddie's right before a, a, a basketball broadcast would be great right now. But Daniel, <laughs> you know, if, if you want to talk about that, I mean, what, what would you say is like been the best part about, you know, starting off your, your basketball covering career at George Mason and, you know, within the A-10? Yeah, it's funny. I kind of backed into it. I've always been, I guess, someone who likes writing. I started my own little GW blog back when I was 14. And um, at the time, I think Grant Lapdez was running A10 Talk, if I'm not mistaken. And they were in need of a GW writer. He picked me up. That was like a 15-year-old kid who didn't have a whole lot of writing experience. And, you know, I, I here I am all these years later, still with A10 Talk, obviously, and picked up Giant Killer when I became a student mason i really wanted to fill the hole of they had no women's basketball coverage and i really wanted to to get that off the ground and so i basically ran a one-man show um last four years over a giant killer with women's basketball stuff and um i've gotten to go to a lot of really f- cool things gone to some road games i trekked up to dayton to see mason um favorite memory is definitely going to be when mason beat florida i mean florida is now a top 15 team in the country which at the time was a great win and it's even better now <laughs> and uh, it, it's been great. Shout out to Molly and all the amazing people over at Mason Athletics and Mason Women's Basketball. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of Mason Women's Basketball, you were at their game tonight against uh, St. Louis. A tough one for for the Patriots, you know, 58-35 uh, in favor of St. Louis. But, Daniel, could you talk about maybe what you liked out of out of both teams in this game? I mean, St. Louis, it, it, it was the Brooke Flowers show. If you are not familiar with Brooke Flowers, you should make yourself familiar with her. She had 12 points, 16 rebounds, and six blocks. I mean, she is third in the entire nation in blocks per game. That will go up as of tomorrow morning with her six-block performance tonight. And Kaija Harberson um, had herself a night as well. Um, I mean, it is a two-headed monster, and St. Louis has been absolutely decimated by injuries. I mean, they were picked to be top four in this league. They basically lost half their roster as the season went along, and that's a big reason why, you know, they were, they are where they are in the standings down in 11. But, you know, St. Louis realistically still has a chance to finish as high as seventh. Um, as we get talking through, you know, we have the final game, the final day of the regular season for the women is coming up this Saturday. And we have one team out of 14 has clinched a specific seed. That's George Mason's going to finish in last. But they had two conference wins, which may not sound like much to folks. But as someone who sat through a winless conference season last year, it is good to see signs of progress being made um, with Vanessa Blair-Lewis and company. Um, But top down, Dayton and Rhode Island head-to-head play on Saturday to decide the regular season crown of the Atlantic 10. Um, UMass and VCU have also clinched top four uh, seeds, but there's they can flip flop between three and four depending on where things go from there. LaSalle is right now in fifth. They can drop down to sixth um, with if they lose and f- if Fordham wins. Fordham's now in sixth place after their loss tonight. 
And then you got a big mess from seventh to 11th, basically. Everyone's within a game of each other of St. Joe's, Davidson, Richmond, Duquesne, St. Louis. George Washington, St. Bonaventure are locked into the 12-13 matchup. Um, so no matter what they do on Saturday, you're going to have them playing each other in the first Wednesday night pillow fight game. And then George Mason down at the bottom at 14th. But tremendous season just all around from the Atlantic 10. Unfortunately, it looks like it's dropped off a little bit that we're probably going to be only two bids. Um, we're really hoping. But it's really just been a great season all around. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's one of those things where, uh, yes, the A-10 on the women's side is probably going to be a two-bid league this year. But, you know, I mean, two, two bids is, is, is solid. It's probably not where the conference wants to be right now in terms of its development. But if it comes at the cost of the league being as competitive as it is right now, then I, I don't think, you know, there's much grounds to, to complain. So like you said, really nothing is set right now in terms of seeding for the Atlantic 10 women's championship. And so going off, going down this, this Wednesday slate, obviously this is kind of the, the sec, second to last big slate of a 10 women's hoops for the regular season, which game on this, uh, which game on this, you know, lineup will you sit, do you think will have the biggest impact on seeding heading into the weekend? I mean, right now, the one that I think I, I, I have two, let me know if you agree with me or not. So I have Richmond beating Fordham 79-69, and then UMass taking down VCU 66-57. No, I think you hit the nail on the head completely with both of those. Fordham has really kind of fallen off a cliff these last couple games. They're on a bit of a losing skid at kind of the worst possible time. Fordham, is, as recently as a week or two ago, was still in the conversation for an at-large bid, um, and that has, unfortunately for them, kind of gotten away from them. Um, but by virtue of their their loss, they were down by as many as 30 to one point at Richmond, came all the way back to make it 10. Um, but Forum has slipped from what looked like a guaranteed top four to they could be as low as six um, or even can they be seventh? Yeah, they could even be seventh uh, potentially. So that that definitely has, has shaken things up. Um, and then UMass, by virtue being uh, VCU tonight, took back over third place. They had dropped briefly down to fourth. Um, but, but UMass is... I think really had a really strong showing tonight and showed that they still can compete and contend for an A-10 title. They're not going to get at large bid, but they know the only way in the NCAA tournament, which they're still very capable of doing is just running the table in Wilmington next week. Um, and it's going to be, a, it's going to be a really fun week. Is that going to be <clears throat> like we've been talking about with, with the A-10 on the men's side, we've been talking about the best way to get as many bids as possible is for somebody to take down Davidson in the in the conference championship so on the women's side is it going to be you're going to want to see maybe Dayton or Rhode Island maybe not make it as far as the semifinals would you want to see a UMass or a VCU kind of slide in there and win so that the A-10 can secure that extra bid yeah it's it's hard to say um it's, it's there's less data out there for bracketology on the women's side just because there's less people doing it um and Charlie Cream is I I do not think he's one of the best ones out there he, he's a big ESPN guy um, that said, Dayton right now is, is moved up to an 11 seed um, as the AQ right now, but they, I think, are solidly in the field no matter how what happens to them from here on out. Rhode Island, as of tonight, entered as the second team out of the field. So they are right there knocking on the door. So I think for the Atlantic 10, the key is going to be maybe unlike the men where Davidson could afford a one and done kind of situation where if Davidson gets bounced in the quarters, they should still be fine. I think both Dayton and Rhode Island both need to get to the semifinals, at least Dayton especially. 
Um, and then maybe a UMass could sneak in or a, or a VCU, or even Fordham if they get their act together, or LaSalle could even be a dark horse. Um, I think it is technically still possible to get three bids. It's Rhode Island it really is a stretch. Um, we just don't have a great feel for where they are um, on the bubble, but I, I, it's possible certainly. Uh, but I think we, we definitely want to get Dayton and Rhode Island both to the semifinals and then maybe then we can talk about knocking one of them out and, and have another team come in and steal a bid. Yeah, so a lot of good stuff on the way for, for the A-10 on the women's side of things. Uh, still so much to be talking about. So make sure you, you follow Daniel and everyone you know that, that covers our, our, our women's hoops on A-10 Talk for all those updates. But let's kind of shift over to the men's side, if we could, really quick. And Daniel, I know we kind of ended last week's uh, episode, you know, at a, at a bit of a point of contention, I would, I would say, uh, considering the fact that uh, Fordham and Mason – we're, we're set to play each other on uh, on Sunday. Sunday, Sunday yeah. it was, yes. Uh, and, you know, I think we were both expecting a pretty close game, maybe not as close as uh, we thought this one was going to be. But, you know, Fordham took down Mason 50-47. to 47 ugly, a, game. <laughs> ugly game. Ugly game. I would honestly say it was still a good game. I mean, both teams – kind of played, uh, you know, offensively, it was, it was not the best performance from, from either team, but I think it's something that, you know, it was, it was gritty. It was physical. And I think it's something it's exactly what we would want to see from two first year coaches in the a 10. Obviously Kim English, not a first year head coach in general, but this is his first year in the conference. So Daniel, I mean, moving on from this game, do you see this matchup being, you know, a potential future marquee game in the Atlantic 10 moving forward? Oh, I absolutely think it is. Um, I think what we saw out of this, and you were initially correct with, with your first assessment, this is actually came English's first year as a head coach of any kind as well. Yeah. Um, so it is, I think just having two young coaches like this, I think what we really saw out of this is Fordham played their brand of ball. And I think they've, before was really getting an identity um, which George Mason, I think, has, but I don't know if they have it completely solidified. Um, Fordham's uh, not a fun team to play. You're not going to have a good time playing in Fordham, especially at Rose Hill. Like, you're not going to have fun. It's not going to be pretty. You're not going to get a bunch of rebounds. You're not going to hit a bunch of threes. Like, unless you have one guy go off for, like, 25, 30 points, you're going to be in for 40 minutes of just slugfest. Um, which is ironically very similar to the brand of ball that Fordham women's basketball has been incredibly successful with for the better part of a decade. Um, and I think it, it's, it's a hard nose Brooklyn or sorry, Bronx style of ball. And I, it's fun to watch when you're not playing the team. And when it is your team playing Fordham, it's, it's not fun. <laughs> I, I know. I, I hope you didn't just say, Brooklyn instead of the Bronx Florida <laughs> man come on hey it's 11 o'clock at night give me some slack it's <laughs> it's a b name it's, it's New York okay. yeah no, I, I, I'm just messing with you I'm just but no the other thing I wanted to say too is you know the, that that description of how Fordham plays I com- a I completely agree with you and B, I mean, I think once we're done with the episode of this podcast, I think we should email it over to uh, Kyle Neptune because <laughs> from day one, from the first day that, uh, you know, I got to talk to Kyle Neptune when he was announced as head coach at Fordham to, you know, honestly, today in his postgame press conference after their 60 to 54 win against LaSalle, that the way you described Fordham 
is exactly the type of team that Kyle Neptune has said he has wanted to build from day one. He wants to build a team that really frustrates you, that you do not want to play, not because maybe they'll, you know, they'll kind of shoot the lights out on you, but because they really, you know, don't, they want you to have a hard time and they want Rose Hill gym to be one of the toughest gyms to play in, not only in the A-10, but in the entire country. And I, I, I have to agree with you. I mean, I think this was overall a really good game for Fordham. Uh, 16 forced turnovers against George Mason, you know, Josh Navarro uh, and Kyle Rose, really, especially since the departure of Antrell Charlton and, you know, the injury to Darius Quisenberry. By the way, Darius Quisenberry, he's he's still day-to-day right now for anyone wondering. Um, I will lean more towards uh, the unlikely side for any regular season game going forward. It's 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 It looks like it's going to be kind of a situation with uh, – similar to Chuba last season, where if they need to bring him in for the conference tournament, they might bring him in. But I just don't really think that they're in a place right now where they, they feel it necessary to bring him in uh, and potentially, you know, re-agitate or further agitate whatever injury he's got going for him right now. But Josh, in, in the meantime, you've got guys like Josh Navarro and Kyle Rose who've really stepped up in scoring. They've, they've, they've really been putting in really good numbers um, you know, that you've got guys like Pat Kelly, who, you know, while he doesn't really put up a lot on the score sheet, I have to say, if you watch a lot of Fordham runs, um, a lot of them are sparked by like a nice Patrick Kelly, you know, left wing three. Um, it's, it's, it's just something that, you know, this, this team, this, this, this team is built kind of like an identity around, you know, getting each other going and getting each other on these runs. And it's something we saw against Mason. And it's something we saw tonight against LaSalle. You know, LaSalle gave Fordham a lot of trouble at, at several points, especially in the second half. They brought their lead all the way down from 12 to, to just one point. They were never able to crack that in the second half but they really kind of put Fordham back on their heels. And that's honestly where Fordham kind of thrives. So, you know, a lot of good stuff. And speaking of, you know, on one side, we've got these two young first-year head coaches, you know, ready to, you know, kind of turn the conference into their own and, and, and create these new rivalries. And on the other side, you know, seeing, seeing LaSalle tonight, I don't want to be too harsh, but. I don't think you can be harsh enough on LaSalle right now. <laughs> Look, and, and it's not good. It's not good. It's yeah. You know, I hate, I hate to be like, you know, they might be looking to, you know, move forward in their coaching situation, but I really didn't see when it, when it comes down to what I did not like against LaSalle, uh, uh, like about LaSalle tonight against Fordham. I really do think it comes down to the coaching. Um, You know, Ashley Howard as, as you know, I think he's a good coach. I think he's done okay at LaSalle so far. I think last year was, was, this is his okay fourth year, year there. It's a, yeah, it's, it's his four. fourth year. I thought last year was okay. There was something. There was something to build on, and they just have not capitalized on it. Of course, in the in the second half against Fordham, they they ran his own. They gave Fordham some trouble. They forced some turnovers, but in the first half, there really were no adjustments. And I think it's it's a sign, a big sign for a team that's not making any adjustments like mid game is you go down you go down by a lot and you just start chucking throughs. That's never going to close a lead. It, it, it just won't because you get nervous. You, you kind of, you know, as some, some said, you, you kind of go postal and think, this is what I got to do. This is what I got to do. I just got to, I got to, 
three pointers are going to are going to close the score the quickest so that's what i'm going to do and it just it just does not work and it did not work for LaSalle tonight and you you saw it when they when they switched to a zone against Fordham they really gave them some trouble and then they just could not could not continue to capitalize so unfortunately if if not this season you know along with maybe coach Dambrot of of Duquesne i think we might see some movement <laughs> in some of our Pennsylvania based teams in the, in the a 10, but Daniel, you know, looking forward, I, I, we, we talk about the future of a lot of these teams, but right now in the, in the nearest possible future, we've got uh, Mason Fordham LaSalle. They're probably, you know, their, their, their time in the championship might be ending on, you know, the second or third day of the tournament. So let's talk about who we think, you know, is really going to be really going to stick around for, you know, Saturday and Sunday of the Atlantic 10 tournament. So Daniel, you know, we've still got a lot, we still got a lot of games to play. Every team's probably got on the men's side has probably got like three or four games left to play in the regular season. But right now, if you can give me a little bracketology, a little a 10 bracketology, what is a big matchup in, you know, in the later rounds of the a 10 championship that you think uh, is a real possibility and that you'll be looking forward to. Yeah, you know, I I keep coming back to Davidson because I I ended last episode with a rather scalding hot take that I, I accused Davidson of being a fraud. And they did the best thing they could possibly do to shut me up. And they had a emphatic win <laughs> over St. Louis on Saturday, 79-58. Everything I said that they do wrong and all the ways you can expose them. They patched up all those holes and they found a way to have just a really nice win against a very good St. Louis team. And then <laughs> to make matters worse tonight, Wednesday night, they uh, only had a three point lead on Duquesne at halftime. Now, granted, yeah, they won 24 points. Yeah. I don't know what to make of this Davidson team. And so I could sit here and tell you, Oh yeah. I'm excited to see. Davidson VCU. I want to see Davidson Dayton. I want to see Dayton or Davidson versus anybody in the A-10 tournament. And yet right now, I, <laughs> I don't know what to make of them. And I mean, we're looking at if things are where they are, the, I mean, the biggest game, because you asked what, what the biggest game is. And I'd be remiss if I didn't start with Dayton Davidson on the final day of the regular season. I, I know it's a game that we've talked a little bit about before, but I'm sure going to get more in depth into it um, in about a week or so. But right now, the, the eight nine game that Davidson's gonna get would be circling back would be George Mason and Fordham, and Fordham gets Davidson uh, this week, I believe. Yes, and we're gonna get Saturday. a first glance of what that matchup might just look like. Well, I will say it's probably the third glance of what. Uh, sorry, the second glance of what we what we might see in this matchup. Obviously, it's it's very different. So, Fordham Davidson was one of the first opponents that Fordham played. Uh, you know, after Charlton left, oh, good early point. early yeah. on in the season. Uh, so early on in the in conference play, so they lost to they lost to St. Louis, and then they and then they had they almost they had a really good first half against Richmond, and then kind of fell off and lost to Richmond. And then they were, I believe, they were leading Davidson at halftime um you know at home in, in in rose hill gym and then they only ended up losing uh by by three points i believe darius quisenberry put up like 36 in that game so you know it was it was a good game for fordham and you know i understand like i understand that this time 
uh, going into this game against Davidson, we're probably not going to be able to have Darius Quisenberry on the floor for Fordham. So it is, you know, maybe maybe it's a first glance at this current Fordham rotation, uh, you know, in one of the many, many lives of Fordham that we've we've seen this season. But um, I I think it'll be very interesting, you know, kind of kind of circling back to Fordham a little bit. Early on this season, you know, way, way before the season started, I was pretty adamant in every publication that I that I or every you know piece that I talked about uh, a possible conference record for Fordham. I said, you know, they were going to be at best six and 12 right now. They're six and eight with four games left to play. They played Davidson uh, once they play George Washington and then they play. Well, they play Davidson. They play UMass twice home and away. And then they play George Washington. Three out of those four games for Fordham, I think are very winnable. Of course, you know, they, they had that three point loss to Davidson. So this, this game on Saturday is obviously winnable, but I think it's going to be a bit of a longer shot. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a if this is a uh, a quarterfinal or semifinal game, you know, in the making for these teams. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, going back to to you know the, the teams to keep an eye on. There's a lot of talk that gets you know about how many upsets there might just be this year, just because of how crazy this year has been just around the conference. Um, and yet, also, there's a lot of of talk that gets pushed back against that too. Of you know, only two teams in the history of the A10 tournament since it's gone to its current 14-team format, have ever won the A-10 title that did not have a double bye. Mm. Um, the first of which was Dayton back in 2015. Dayton was a five-seed and beat this – or sorry, VCU was a five-seed, excuse me, and beat Dayton in 2015 um, was the first one. And then the second one was St. Louis just a couple of years ago. I believe, what was that, 2018? Uh, no, 2019, I think it was. I've got it here in front of me. Yeah, 2019 St. Louis was a sixth seed and beat St. Bonaventure. So only two teams since 2015 have won the Atlantic 10 tournament on the men's side without being a top four seed. And so for all the talk that, you know, could that be the case this year? Could it not be the case? How much upsets we're going to get? I mean, there's six teams right now that still are in the running for a double bye. And I don't think there's that much separation between Bonnesloe and Richmond. Yeah, no doubt. And I, I especially, especially when you look at, uh, you know, I feel like this is something that we debate a, a lot on, on, on mid-major Twitter, um, you know, on, on the effectiveness of, of, bra- of a lot of, you know, popular, you know, bracketologists. But, you know, going into this, this tournament, this, this A-10 conference tournament, you know, obviously Davidson is, is the sole at-large bid, uh, for the for the Atlantic 10. But a lot of guys, especially Joe Lunardi, in the first four out, he's got Dayton. And in the next four out, he's got St. Bonaventure. Is there anything that these teams can do before the conference tournament? Bef- like that, so is there anything that these teams can do before the conference tournament for them to kind of you know get further and further into that bubble conversation? Or is it going to take a good A10 conference tournament run? I think the key is it, the best opportunity that anyone has it's not to beat the dead horse is Dayton getting, getting Davidson. That would be a quad one win for Dayton and has the best opportunity for anyone to move the needle. The other thing I will just throw out there. Now the odds of this are probably lesser than they were a year ago, but BYU is currently in search of a non-conference game leading up to their conference tournament. And Dayton is not going to play till Friday of that of conference tournament week. BYU is looking for a team to play and 
wants to play a Monday or Tuesday of that week, that could be an opportunity. And it's probably a stretch for me to suggest this, but it is a hypothetically possible opportunity that one of VC or Dayton or Bana could say, hey, I'll put it all on the line and I'll go and see if I can get a good quad one, quad two victory to really pad my resume. So not to, no pun intended, not to burst your bubble, but uh, <laughs> I feel like every, we, we get to this point in the season every year, right? Especially last year when scheduling was just a, a nightmare for, for every reason, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. People talk about right before the conference tournament or right after the conference tournament, right before selection Sunday, possibly getting, you know, a sneaky non-conference game in. Like, I feel like we were talking about uh, St. Louis was was in serious talks, as far as I know, to try and get a game against Drake before before Selection Sunday. And now you're, now you're saying Dayton possibly, you know, scheduling BYU. How likely is it that we're actually going to see something like that happen, though? Like, ever? In the A-10 or, or, or elsewhere around the country? I mean, Slu got Iona early in the year, and obviously different circumstances. But that's 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 it, that was in like December. You know what I mean? Like that fair. wasn't right before they had to play their conference championship. And to kind of push on it a little further, I mean, yes, you're getting that game in, but how much does getting that getting that game in and possibly getting another win on your record outweigh the cost of going into a conference tournament? with a little bit less preparation time and a little more exhaustion. You know what I mean? It's a give and take. I I think everyone has to decide first and foremost, where they think they're at. I mean, it's so hard for teams. I think these days, especially at the mid-major level to really get a feel for what the committee, how they're being evaluated because there's so much subjectivity. As we all know, the NCAA can sing and dance and do whatever they want to do to make us believe that it's everyone's treated. That's completely BS. It's not easy. Yeah. Don't tell me that Dayton is in the same league as North Carolina in terms of how they're being evaluated. There's no comparison there. You know, it, so in terms of that, like, again, I don't know how much, even if it's a quad one win, I don't know how much it moves the needle at this point. I mean, there's a lot of, to- a lot of people that will tell you if you're not in the field, when conference tournament week hits, you're not, there's nothing you can do to get in besides win the, the AQ. I mm-hmm. mean, I think that's something that we, we talk about this every year and we just, there's pros and cons. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, talking about the NCAA selection committee, it's also, it's a TV, it's a, it's a TV event. It's, it's, it's a money-making event. And and I I don't mean to get cynical like that, but you know, no matter what you got to sell those ad spots for orange and vanilla Coke, you know what I mean? And I don't know if, I don't know if St. Louis is going to sell that ad spot as much as, you know, a Virginia, you know? So you might have to keep that in mind going into selection Sunday if your team is kind of still floating on the bubble. But before we before we finish up this, you know, kind of quick A10 talk podcast, Daniel, let's talk about this weekend slate. Obviously, we've got every women's team tipping off on Saturday afternoon. So out of those games, and then you know, out of the handful of men game men's games we've got this weekend, what are you going to be watching? Yeah, I'm gonna be. I'm going to be keeping an eye on a couple different things. Obviously the headliner on the woman's side is Dayton, Rhode Island. If there's one game you check out on Saturday on the woman's side, check out Dayton, Rhode Island. It's a de facto regular season conference championship game. 
Um, it's going to be high level basketball. They just played a week ago. So they're going to be really familiar with each other. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I'll be personally at GW LaSalle. Um, very curious to see how LaSalle has progressed since I saw them back in January. They've kind of had an up and down season, but fifth place for, for the Explorers is a huge accomplishment. Mount McGivory has done a tremendous job with this team this season. Um, and so I'm excited to get to see them in person again and see how they've grown. Over on the men's side, yes, I'm incredibly biased in this, and you probably know where I'm going already. GW Mason is a very interesting game. And as someone that admittedly leans more towards Mason in my fandom right now, as a Mason fan, I'm very worried about this game. I don't like the way that Mason matches up against GW. I don't like how confident GW is coming into this game. GW is playing their best basketball at the right time. Yeah, they, they didn't play super great against Richmond on Tuesday night, but they'll have had several days to rest up for this game. I think it's GW's hungry for a win at Mason. They've not gotten one in a couple of years. Um, and GW can all but lock up a top seven seed if they beat Mason a second time and they beat him at Eagle Bank Arena. That's going to be a, it's a standalone game on Sunday. That's going to be a really fun one. Yeah, and even even if you're not uh, a Mason fan or a GW fan, if you're just looking at the, at this weekend's matchups for the for the men's side of things, um, it's really probably the clo- one of the closest matchups we'll be getting all weekend. Because that, other than that, you've got twelve and three Dayton taking on two and thirteen LaSalle, uh, twelve and three VCU taking on five and nine UMass. Who you know we didn't really talk about tonight, but if you ask anybody uh, who's the UMass fan or UMass contributor after tonight, I think you know, it's just, you know, the pit of despair over, over, over in uh, Amherst. And then you got Bonnie's who are 10 and four against St. Joseph's who are, who are four and 11. I'll be at Fordham uh, versus Davidson or sorry, I won't be there because it's in North Carolina, but I'll be watching that game. Uh, Cause I'll be covering it for a 10 talk. But other than that, I really do think that, you know, that quote unquote battle of the Georges is going to be a, a pretty solid matchup. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, we would be remiss if we didn't mention Friday 10 Richmond slew is obviously the other big game of the weekend. Um, it's, it's a de facto game for they're playing for fifth place right now. Uh, slew's got the edge on Richmond right now from when they met previously, I believe. Um, but that's going to be another really good one too. Um, as, as both teams are, are still very much in the hunt for the double buy. Um, I think if Richmond loses, they're just about eliminated though. Um, so they're going to be playing with some desperation. You have to believe it's a home game for the spiders. Um, where St. Louis, they know that with a win, they they're right. there knocking on the door, half a game behind the Bonnies. Um, so that's going to be a heck of a game too. Yeah. And that one's on ESPN too. Uh, I, I think we should definitely, you know, make note of that. The, you know, the a 10 has been getting a lot of really good uh, primetime weekend games. And I think this is probably one of the best ones we've gotten so far. So for coverage of those games and, you know, everything A-10, everything for your favorite 14 teams in the country, keep tuning back to A-10 Talk. Check out the website, a10talk.com. Follow us on Twitter. Keep checking back for the podcast. And uh, for Daniel Frank, I'm Sam Basil, and we'll see you guys next time.